Thank you, everyone, for being patient. Um, we're going to get started now, and I want to welcome you all to Poetry and Conversation um, at the Pratt Library. And just want to let you know before we get started, we have a lot of great poetry events here at the library. And if you get on our email list, um, we will keep you posted about what's going on. So at, at the end of the program, if you, you can sign up and also you can fill out an evaluation to tell us how tonight was for you. Um, we're very excited to have um, Abdul Ali and Venus Thrash reading for us tonight. They're going to read each for um, maybe 15 to 20 minutes, and then we'll have a Q&A session, and then they'll read some closing poems. So I'm just going to begin by introducing Venus. Venus Thrash is the author of The Fateful Apple, which was longlisted for the 2015 Penn America Open Book Award and was a Split This Rock recommended poetry book of 2014. She was a finalist in the 2012 Jean Feldman Poetry Prize and the 2009 Arctoy Books Poetry Prize. Her poetry is published in the Belois Poetry Journal, Arkansas Review, and Beltway Quarterly. She has read at the Split This Rock Poetry Conference, the Atlas Center for the Performing Arts, the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, and the Library of Congress. One of my favorite poems in The Fateful Apple is Uncivil, which describes a marriage where there will be no parchment certificate stamped with any state's approval, confirming we're married or in love, but we will jump over a brand new straw broom, we will light candles and pour red wine into the earth where our ancestors sleep. This poem is a good example of what Dr. Keith D. Leonard calls the difficult joy of Venus's poems, a joy that doesn't look away from sadness and anger, but rather absorbs their darkness. The straw broom and the red wine and the attractive rhythm of those lines are typical of the seductive sensuousness of Venus's writing. And the two women getting married belong to a parade of high-spirited rebels in her book, from Eve to Oprah Winfrey to a 15-year-old girl sitting on a swing at dusk. Poet Sarah Browning writes, Women have troubles, yes, but Venus Thrash knows there is glorious resistance in ritual, desire, and love. Please help me to welcome Venus Thrash. Good evening, Baltimore. Thank you, Shailene, and thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here at um, Enoch Pratt Free Library. And uh, wow, that was a great introduction. Probably one of the best I've ever had. You're hired. <laughs> so I'm going to be reading from my debut collection, The Fateful Apple, available on the back table, also at Amazon.com. OK. This first poem is called Abortion in the Garden of Eden. Deep in the heart of the Garden of Eden, past the Euphrates and Tigris riverbanks, the marsh grass, reed beds, bulrushes, the rough leaf black mulberries, sweet purple fruit, the sour pomegranates, brief bloom, the pistachio split open to green tart flesh, the date palm's intoxicating wine, its meaty droop, twilight's first meal, breaking fast for Ramadan, its fanned leaves laid across the way of suffering, 
at the soles of Jesus' feet. Past the olives, anointing oil, burnt offering and holy temples, its opulent branches crowning victors of wars, the remnants sealed 3,000 years in Tutan Commons tomb. Past citric limes, aromatic pulp, the figs, feminine flower, the pubescent apricot akin to the peach, its erogenous nectar, healing stone. Past clusters of grapes violently lush, mellowing on overcrowded vines, sugary cinnamon artlessly hewn from the bark of evergreens. Past Aphrodite's succulent quince, bewitching to Atalanta, whose sworn virginity to Artemis was felled by the tempting poem. Past stiff-necked tulips, night-blooming jasmines, blood-stained hyacinths, deep-rooted camel thorns, willows in the river's mist, the tree of life vowing immortality. Past the tree of knowledge of good and evil, damning womankind, stands a wild row of herbal shrubs eclipsing shady corners of a disillusioned paradise. Bastard hellebore brewed by witches to summon forth demons or blood. Cures hysterics, women screaming, running naked through the streets. Common rue, herb of grace, constricts the womb. Birth wart for snake bite, seeds, contraceptive, tea leaves, purge the embryo. Bitter waters fed to a pregnant wife testing infidelity. Branded adulteress disavowed if she miscarries. That if Eve had not eaten the fateful apple, she never would have known. What knuckleheads Cain and Abel how demanding raising civilization can be, how the curse of painful labor proves God's vengeance is exacting, how envy drives the hearts of men to murder. It's hard to write poems about abortion, y'all. Of course, you all know that. Constrained, Lamu, Kenya. Behind the archipelago hotel, a stray donkey gnaws frayed clothing draped on crude fences. Braze all night under shower of stars spilling across the sky, spiting darkness. Rastas rent poor, asleep in dows beneath a floodlight named moon, dream a rising sun to wait. Muslim men in lengthy kurtas in open sandals stroll the shores, shallow waters, hand in hand. Women in twos in hot hijabs curse the sun, cradle bags of rice or lentils mistaken for a baby far away. Boys as big as ten, shamelessly nude, somersault from stone columns into the mighty sea. Little girls, unconstrained, in worn red dresses, foot race, shoeless, down narrow lanes, chaste flesh, coarsened by creed, coated in the town's gray dust. Um, this poem is called Anita Calls Jenny Back, and it's a what-if poem, and if you recall, during the 2012 presidential election, 
Virginia Thomas, which would be Clarence Thomas's wife, called Anita Hill, which would be the accuser 20 years earlier, and said, please apologize to my husband. She called her at her job at Brandeis University, left a message on her voicemail, or as my alter ego would say, call her on her job, girl. Okay, so anyway, she left a message, and Anita Hill, from everything I've read and observed, has always acted in this very you know, civil and calm way, and she did the right thing. She called campus security. So this is a what-if poem. What if Anita Hill had actually called Virginia Thomas back? Anita calls Jenny back. <clears throat> he snickers in the ear when big-breasted women fill the space of tiny rooms. The skirt cut too short above the knee, a raunchy whim. A thigh by chance exposed is hussy, looking to be fucked. The sideways smile, a filthy promise to rendezvous. The red-stained lips, debauchery made flesh. The open-collar blouse, a rogue tongue. A brisk walk down city streets is a woman in an alley on her knees blowing a john against her will. The open toe, patent leather pumps beg to be tied and bound. Girl, don't pretend you're the only one who knows. Yeah, well, you know, y'all thought I was going to go off on Clarence. Clarence had to let his free flag fly. All right, so this point was called A Different Key. And if you're like me, growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, the way I did, you're 16, 17, and you're a burgeoning lesbian, and Whitney Houston's debut album comes out, you spend a lot of hours staring at the album cover, like I did, and playing the album over and over and over. And uh, it just so happens I was visiting my folks back home in Georgia when Whitney passed. So, um, <clears throat> so this poem is for Whitney Houston, A Different Key. In faded bell-bottom denims, floral print halters, Red ribbons unloosened in lopsided Afro puffs, zipping in the wind, oblivious to future superstardom. But none of us is spared the hard fall from grace ignited by fame and foolish money eager to be spent. Belting out the number one soul serenade in the summer of 76, almost better than Aretha. Giving him something he can feel Spinning on the turntable without end Raise the rafters of New Hope Baptist higher Not God, but you the congregation praised Meet a girl at Catholic school Long lost sister found Compelled you to sing salvation songs in a different key a rumor blossoming on the vine, cut by a debut gone platinum at 21, four top hits in heavy rotation, a Grammy, America's sweetheart, darker. Quick death cannot quell the discontent of life partly filled. The rest surrendered to an ideal image show business demands. Rock stars, fallen divas, women loving men. If Whitney's true tenor was lesbian, she shouldn't have had to otherwise pretend. Um, 
So Shailene alluded to this poem in her introduction, so I'm going to take a a stab at it. Um, It's called Alexis at Dusk. Battered playgrounds dot the city. Exhale at dusk. One last sticky-fingered kid. Toddlers tumbling, chasing a simple ball over erratic grass. Unwavering dads pitching fast balls to little sluggers who are daughters who'll never play major league. Tuckered moms chauffeuring one in a double stroller, a second strapped to tender breasts, untouched, unkissed since the first trimester, who wish away in vain the trembling thigh, the dry tongue. Return home, toss chicken nuggets in the oven, baby bottles in the warmer, stir-fry on the stove. Grandmothers, tired of raising children, who unleash stern warnings to hard-headed grandkids and surely swat behinds despite the spectacle, who'll feed them and somebody else's child she barely knows tonight out of mercy and the goodness of her heart. Old men hogging all day the few scattered benches, refusing their roasted peanuts and bologna sandwiches on white bread to the squirrels who eye them, the dirty pigeons they curse and shoo away. But Alexis, at dusk, fifteen, skinny, too tall to fit in anywhere, fatherless, hungry, truant, the bane of her mother's ire, won't go home, won't be fed baked chicken or brown rice, be cleansed by warm water or ivory soap on the skin, sneak a boyfriend with a one-track mind into her bed tonight. But we'll watch with weepy eyes the sun fade behind a jagged cityscape, Embrace a thin frame, hostile to nightfall's chilly air. Regard encroaching darkness with suspicion. Sleep, open-eyed, one hand in the pocket, swaying slightly to morning on the swing. Okay. Oh, you also alluded to this one. So I'll take a stab at it. Oprah Loves Gail. At night, when Own shuts down and the show's closing theme music fades, and Stedman snores away in Oprah's favorite red satin men's pajamas, she slips from between Egyptian cotton sheets tiptoes down the winding hall to the guest bedroom where Gail has fallen nearly asleep, waiting. Under covers, they hold hands and talk deep into the morning the way old girlfriends do. Oprah leans her head on familiar solid shoulders and lays her burdens down. And Gail, as she promised, takes up and carries them as far as Oprah needs. Oprah got burdens too, y'all. About a billion of them. (laughs) No. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read some new pieces, and then I'll sit down, I think. And I don't know. It's hard for me. Oh, there's a clock right there. Okay. I didn't pay attention when I first got up here. Okay. It's always hard to read new poetry. 
They're not in the collection. It's on a, I think they're going to be in this collection I'm working on called Misanthrope. And these poems are a lot darker than the fateful apple. Um, so this is called Feed Them Nothing. Eat only at the table. Prop your feet on the other chair. Don't drop a crumb. Feed them nothing. Leave no dirty dishes in the sink. No open boxes in cupboards. No darkening bananas in bowls. Don't ripen tomatoes in the sun. Don't set traps. They've figured them all out like test subjects in a maze. Where there's one, there's more. Starve them all winter. If not, they'll be back in greater numbers, with hungry vengeance, rollicking behind walls, coming and going via unplugged holes, laughing, fucking madly, like the rats they are. I said they were darker. Twisted. Like a thief prowling my home, watching as I sleep and conjure in my dreams the woman I'll marry on faraway Ghanaian shores, musing while I sing ridiculously loud in the shower off-key, stealing a bite of leftover turkey and Swiss I saved in the fridge. Love eludes me. I can name a thousand reasons the woman with a flair for revenge who tie-dyed all my whites. The woman with a crooked smile at the lesbo bar, drunk on rails, cursing between sips every woman she's ever known. The woman with the firm ass and youthful nonchalance, flying from mildly agitated to all-out war in seconds. The woman who pulled from a fake designer purse snazzy magenta lipstick and a six-inch knife. The woman who got away. But baby, this twisted view of love is not my own. This is what I hope instead of love. To find you wanting and unexpected as a breeze blowing, blowing kisses on the skin in the thick of summer to be rendered nearly breathless when I take you by the hand, to long for me even when I am near and naked and lounging on the grass in a shaded grove, tears safe enough to shed in your empathic grace, yes, to a walk in the park in the midst of light rain, a bouquet of cut tiger lilies delivered by singing telegram in the middle of an ordinary day, an arm around the waist without hiding, a bowl of chilled oranges good enough for breakfast sliced in wedges served in bed, a scarlet dress fit for a harlot, lifted thigh-high in a dark theater, a zipper undone, an eager crotch, spooning, talking ourselves to sound sleep as the stairs to our room grow more impossible to climb and that old silver moon slips forever from the late-night sky. Or 
whatever. Oh, you can sit. You can sit in the seat in the normal seats if you want. Yeah, I mean whatever you. Want. Thank you so much, Venus. That was fabulous. Um, and there will be an opportunity to uh, to hear a little bit more poetry at the end, um, too. Um, okay, I'm going to introduce Abdul. Abdul Ali, author of Trouble Sleeping, winner of the 2014 New Issues Poetry Prize, teaches in the English department at Towson University. His poetry, essays, and interviews have appeared in Gargoyle, A Gathering of the Tribes, National Public Radio, New Contrast, The Atlantic, and the anthology Full Moon on K Street, among other publications. He has received grants, awards, and fellowships from the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities, American University, College Language Association, and the Mount Vernon Poetry Festival at the George Washington University. He is a member of the board of directors of the Hurston Wright Foundation. Poet Fanny Howe compares reading Trouble Sleeping to riding the bus in Washington, D.C., and this book does often give you the feeling that you have stepped onto a very purposeful, very public vehicle. Stopping and going at a musical, jazzy pace, we career through intersections of the present moment with history, private life with group life, the poet's art with pop culture. There's no shrinking away from contemporary America's nightmarish qualities on this journey, but the nightmare has been wedded to astonishing beauty and insight as when patrol cars change the colors of the sky from black and gold to red and blue, or a child runs towards her father. After school, you run towards me. I'll lift you up, and you'll yank down a handful of sky. Where's mommy? Poet Yusuf Kumonyaka writes... Each poem exposes the conflicts of an inner city speaker. Yet even in the midst of conflict, one believes the voice saying, I love the city. Please help me to welcome Abdul Ali. Thank you for that uh, beautiful introduction. Usually people just, uh, look at you. Usually people just like read the flap, you know, but I could tell you... uh, put some work into that. Thank you so much. And um, what a pleasure to read after Venus, my homegirl. Um, true story. Well, actually, I won't tell that story. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Um, so many. So here we are in Baltimore, right? This uh, restless city. And I wrote this restless book of poems. So let's begin, let's begin uh, frag, fragments, fragments from childhood. Fold up cot, radiator misting, a high soprano, my nose bleeds midnight, marauders squeak in the trash. Fragment from childhood number 23. So these are like photographs. There's a pigeon on the fire escape. I want to follow the pigeon to the edge. Double dare me. I'll fly. Fragment from childhood number 36. A loud gasp from behind my mother's door. I hear her. I enter her room with a screwdriver and begin stabbing air. Two voices shriek. Wait. Um, 
So I'm from Queens, New York, right? Um, that borough, I don't know, it's not as cool as being from Brooklyn. Brooklyn seems to be like the new Manhattan. So I wish I were from Brooklyn. I actually did live in Brooklyn at one point, but that's beside the point, right? Uh, this poem is called South Ozone Park. Um, it's a section of Southeast Queens, for those of you who uh, may be familiar. And there's an epigraph from Lucille Clifton that reads, In the inner city or like we call it, home. One. They walk in packs, sweet-talking, baby, ooh, and ah, can I get your phone number? Don't be that way, pretty thing. And when they give a smile, gold plates flash, ricocheting, chain to chain, ring to chain, gold fronts, toothy smiles, beaming from chest to chest, a pinball, a pinball game. <clears throat> until the night lights up like Times Square, and the hood ain't so scary until patrol cars change the colors of the sky from black and gold to red and blue. Two. Subway cars roar overhead. Boulders hold this urban pride rock in the air. Block letters spray painted on bricks. It's summer, summer time, and fire hydrants will empty on women with wine bottle shapes wearing neon spaghetti straps. The night hums with cicadas and bats and streetwalkers. It is true that on every corner lives a superhero, unafraid of bullets. Three, storefront churches on every corner. Church's chicken, the way of the cross, holy redeemer, soul rescue workers, soul food dinners after service. We walk uptown like we own it. Boom boxes our warcraft. It's tricky. Our theme song, Islam Brothers selling final call newspapers, bean pies two for five. Four. When was the last time you've been home? Anything familiar? Was the soul food joint still standing on Rockaway? And what about Baisley Park, where schoolchildren walked across the frozen lake, falling inside a mirror, becoming black icicles? Was your old house still standing? Who yanked out the pear tree? Did anyone remember the block before they built a house in the lot? Before English reversed into a dozen curry-stained tongues? Did anyone Remember your name. Oof. Let's see where we go. Where we going? Where we going? All right. So today actually is my grandfather's birthday, um, and my grandfather passed away my first semester uh, of my freshman year at Howard University. So I thought it was very appropriate to acknowledge him, right? But also uh, maybe to read a poem for him. So this is called Dreaming and Plaid, and it just so happened I'm. <laughs> right? That was totally not planned, I promise. Um, dreaming in plaid. When I dial your number, I wait for the recording to beep. Hey, Pops, where you been? Then it hits me. Every black man is you sitting on porches in plaid long sleeves. Where you been? No answer. Noise of silence, blue fog, the whiff of coconut milk, cream of wheat, your cheeks fever orange, calypso, eyes tear flooded, cataracted, 
and your cologne, a cocktail of jupe, mothballs, crushed cloves. Ooh. Okay, let's see. So, are there any 80s babies in here? Anyone born in the 1980s? One? Okay. All right. Great. Because I was going to get really embarrassed if I just mentioned that and I'm the only one. So, I have this poem called 1984. And one of the things I like to do is to sort of find random prompts. Because after a while, there's... But so many poems you can write about death, so many poems you can write about, you know, your goldfish that drowned when you were nine, you know, so you have to make up prompts, right? And so one way to do that, okay, I can't find it. One way to do that is to, you know, read a lot of other people's poems and then hopefully you'll get an idea. So I can't find that poem, but I'm going to read you another poem. Um, this one is actually for my uncle who is a photographer and, um, a really cool guy when he wants to be. So this is called East Elmhurst. Before I ever saw my face, you did behind a lens inside a slab of steel, an oracle splitting seconds into clear focused photo strips where darkness crowds light. Within seconds, our apartment became a haven for vampires. We'd shut the Venetian blinds, keeping out the light. I'd watch images appear magically on blank sheets in a pool of solution. Me on fire escape, me chasing a pigeon on fire escape, you fresh from Paris, French curled tongue, Afro-Bohemian, modern Van der Zee. Uh, It was a simpler time the late 80s, pull-out couch, small kitchen, unadorned dinners, chicken with rice. Before I could write, I listened. Before I could remember, you snapped, shudder, release. Two. On my fourth birthday, you took me to Coney Island, the, that haunted house, the goblin who stole a woman's wig, the green fires howling, smoke, the dark dip, the untightened seatbelt. They played thriller the whole time. Pitch black, mummified, mannequins, laughing. I heard your voice. It's going to be over soon. Hang in there. Then there was the beach. Litter mixed with sand, seashells slicing big toe, the burn of fresh salt water, the limp beginning, middle, end, flash, reload. Before I learned to use that 35 millimeter, every memory was framed in a cloud, the stale popcorn, cotton candy, sweaty Coca-Cola bottles that hissed, clowns with huge hats, three-card Monty, your harmonica. When my mother got arrested that summer, you rushed on an airplane to fetch me from North Carolina. I held my breath until I saw you walking down the dirt road, camera slung across your shoulder. You okay? I'm fine. That was over 25 years ago. Now we both have children, my daughter slightly older than yours, you traveling the world, taking pictures, changing diapers, photo session, far and in between. Me traveling the world in sleep, waking up in the middle of the night, writing draft after draft after draft. 
hearing alarm clocks that do not exist. Your 35 millimeter now rests in my living room, crowded in a film of dust. The other night, I wound it up, opened the Venetian blinds, and shot a star before its light burned out. Okay, where is that? All right, that 80s poem. There you go. In 1984, a new nation def-jammed. Jerry curls drip-dripping all over, suede jumpsuits, hanging gold medallions, radios slung over tattooed shoulders, new sounds clashing at different velocities, thriller, rock box, Roxanne, Roxanne, the freaks come out at night, urban word slingers, leather jackets, all the way vinyl. The hysteria. Was it rock? Definitely hip. Pop too. The movie houses showed Gremlins, Terminator, something strange in the neighborhood. Who you gonna call? That was the year Jesse Jackson ran for president and Reagan won. The year Apple unveiled its first bubble-screened PC. The year Moonwalkers, Spray Painters, Kangle Hats remixed pop culture forever. That year, my mother sported a platinum bob. She turned 18, wore a gold tooth with a star that blinged, rocked a squirrel fur wraparound. Her eyes squinted in the photograph, but looking forward, carrying me, a newborn, outside the city, above the Bronx to Yonkers, where I absorb everything. The rhythm of subway cars chewing through dark, lights dimming, turntables scratching, discotheques. My first steps with a hip bounce. Ow. I hold my breath, wait for the needle to scratch a new groove, discover the world. A dance floor, splintered. How are we doing on time? Oh, is this? Oh, we're good. Okay. Um, I'd like to. All right, nocturnes. All right, so I lived in D.C. for about almost ten years before coming back to Baltimore. So I had a lot of time to reflect on what it means to be uh, an urbanite, um, all the music and all that jazz. So tell me what you think. Nocturnes. I'm a night watcher catching sight of, a r- of rare birds that come out with the stars. Somewhere a trash can is on fire, warming a pair of hands. On the corner, skinny men and big-hipped women wave at highlighter sedans moving full speed ahead. They trade new ports, inhaling each other's breath. Half-sleepwalking, eyelids near close, the wind propels me. I'm gliding, feet barely touching the ground. My eyes are vacant. I don't see a thing. When my apartment gets too noisy, with disquiet, I break loose, off to the cinema. I wish there were a movie to escape to every night, 
like that, finding music and cups filled to the brim with cherry coke and diamond-shaped ice chips that land on your crotch, leaving a moist stain before the lights dim. Nothing compares to nightfall in the city, the rush of the metro bus, a mutant centipede menacing through the city, leaves whisking inside a trash can, autumn fading violently, the trees shedding feathers. I love the city. It's quiet dramas, the stabbings, the underfunded asylums, never knowing who'll wait at the bus stop with you. The old woman who wears mud pies on her face screams, Get the hell away from me, you yellow monkey! Waving her cane, everything is changing. Apple skins that fly over dead birds with orange petticoats, pies baking, the homeless traveling like skiers, their oversized backpacks, their shopping carts, the way their backs hunch over and still smile when you don't give them a dollar. Their cups rattle like tambourines on Judgment Day. You notice four churches that you took for abandoned buildings on your block. Everything's awake. You recall hymns. Mouth the words as you walk by. Think of walking in, sitting in a pew in the very back, but don't. Your thoughts return to the homeless. You're a boy again, moving around with your mother. You try to push the hungry look off that boy's face, pushing it further out of your head. You want him to die. The night makes all of this fresh. Your mind is a racetrack. Flustered, you walk quietly. Graffiti cutouts become your shadow. They follow you everywhere. You're trapped inside an Edouard Munch painting. Your mouth opens. Butterflies come out. That boy cannot die. He wakes when you cannot sleep. He lives behind your eyeballs. This is your fate. Trouble sleeping. Okay. Um, I want to read a newer poem, if that's okay. I, um, so, as you all heard, I'm a teacher, right? And English teachers do a lot of what? Grading, right? Too much grading. And so after, after a while, you know, kind of like this. And so I occasionally indulge and I see a masseuse. Of course, you know, we can't afford those things, right? But I thought I'd write a poem about uh, this experience, all right? So this is uh, the masseuse for Norma. That's her name. Her touch, soft and rough, the way I like it. Take off your clothes. Leave on your underwear. Lay on your back. Hands to the side. How does it feel? You've been stretching. Very good. Whoa, there's tension. That's how the body responds to pain. Get on your stomach. Nice glutes. I'm going to push your leg forward. Tell me if it hurts. How's that? And that? And... So that's my masseuse poem.
One more? One more? Okay, so this is a longer one. So I had the pleasure of uh, reading a poem with some musicians recently, and I thought, oh my gosh, I need to like throw the pen away and just learn how to play an instrument because that is where the real excitement—that's where the excitement is, you know. In the rehearsal, the musicians, I mean, they they get into this zone, right, and then they bite their bottom lip, and they're like. And you're like, oh my gosh, I want to do that, you know. So I'm hoping one day I can be cool enough to do that, you know, that thing that the musicians did when I watched them rehearse and play. So this is for um, Charlie Parker, um, who died very young, like unfortunately so many of us. Um, and it's called Gotham Round Midnight. Don't call me bird when I die. Remember the warm the worm-colored tongue flying on breath currents outside this colored cantus body, zapping into a cosmic hum. Remember me, my smarter self. Screams, noise, quiet, stars splitting purple sky, reaching higher sublimes, years liquefying. A shot in the vein, a train on fire, Pushing through darkness, repeat, pushing through darkness, dizzying, you will be there. Nursing a ginger beer in Birdland, smoke will mushroom, closing in like Judgment Day. You standing tall, blocking a thumbtack Jesus. All is a blur, a green dream, dank, silent, B-flat. Tiny holes dot my arm, and each hole is the earth opening and closing. The sky lit up a marquee. Time moving counterclockwise, fleeing Kansas in 39, selling one-way ticket for smack. This saxophone won't remember my fingerprints. That it was love and death. My wings and noose. Bebop, a bat cutting across Gotham round midnight, a dance with skeletons, eyeballs rolling on the floor. How long is forever? Will I wake to the sound of a strangled crow, another wordless song? And when I try to play that song, nothing. I'll blow harder. Thank you. do a little bit of Q&A um, and um, for those who have never come to one of these events before we record um, just the voices um, for our, our website so if you have a question I'll bring you the mic so we can capture your question um, Mark you want to before oh, yeah, please. I just okay. want to I just want to thank you all for coming out I know how busy you guys all with work obligations and family and to give poetry the attention that you have, uh, it means so much to me, and I'm sure my colleague v Venus. Not at all. <laughs> so thank you. 
Thank you very much. First of all, very good presentations from both of you. Um, I'm a native Washingtonian, and I resided there in a fine city for the first 36 years before I moved up to Baltimore. And my question is, I know you've done a lot of poetry on the, the neighborhoods and well, some of the basic things and the subway, traffic, and all that. But Washington is also the government city of our country. So what do you say? I'm assuming, assuming you have poems about presidents, museums. Do you have any of that? Uh, that, that, that type of thing. Because Washington is it's not like New York. It's, it's very different. It is very, it, it is very different. Um, it's interesting that you asked that, Mark, because this collection I'm working on now, Misanthrope, is uh, that the title poem actually has a lot to do with governments and policies and corruption and you know the the uh, recession, um, people losing their homes and their jobs. It's a very dark collection centered around really uh, everyday people, working class people. Uh, it's broken up into suites. Um, one is tentatively called the Dead Black Body Suite, which is about a lot of the people who have been uh, shot and killed by police by the by this what I call the state and. Um, uh, there's also a collection, uh, a suite called uh, "Pussy Riot All Over the World," which has to do with a lot of the uh, rapes and sex trafficking. It's a very politically charged collection, a very dark collection. It's a lot about poverty, which is where "Feed Them Nothing" comes from. Um, and um, so it's interesting that it's made that the collection has taken that kind of a dramatic turn dealing with our government and our laws and our systems, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, I find um, people interesting. So in writing about Washingtonians, writing about meeting a, a weird woman at a bus stop with Absolutely. mud on her face, I feel like I'm writing about Washington. Um, I'm not so much interested in the monuments and more about the people who built them, what they represent. Um, so kind of like back to Frank O'Hara, personism, right? Like I'd like for my poems to be um, speaking to people and about people, uh, not um, sort of, I don't know, stand in for people. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But yes, you will get a lot of Washington and a lot of people um, in my book. Thank you. Yes. There's also that uh, anthology that we, we, we both have poems in called Full Moon on K Street, which is about uh, Washington poetry or what have you. Right? Yep, hmm. absolutely. What she said. <laughs> you mentioned um, doing some poetry with musicians. There was a few weeks ago a musician who's also a poet here he mentioned that when he was doing music, he thinks uh, rhythm and melody and then thinks of the words. And he says when he writes poetry, it's usually an image that inspires him. What inspires your poetry, both of you? All of the above. Music, uh, visual art, um, people telling your mama jokes, my students. Um, I mean... I think that the world is a prompt. Living is a prompt. Um, so I, I think everything is uh, 
fair game uh, for me. So my writing process is uh, very extended. I, I'm not a quick reader or writer. Um, I'll jot down maybe a line of dialogue or, I don't know, I remember once I was at a, a carryout place and there was a woman who, you know, ordered her food and, you know, she spoke very stately. She said, let me get the fried chicken and the okra and the rice. And then she said, and some gravy. And it was just wonderful how her whole body kind of got fluid, you know, with the gravy. And I said, oh, my God, that is great. So um, writing is also about listening for me, right? The inflection and how people talk and what that says about the person and their backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, Music is a huge influence for me. Um, I grew up with my parents playing James Brown, Aretha Franklin, the Staples Singers, um, Otis Redding, Marvin Gaye. Um, did I say Aretha Franklin? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Times three, and um, and and my house was always filled with music. And on Sundays, it was a whole another kind of music because you know I grew up in one of those houses where, you know, we went to church, and um, so I had a lot of you know gospel influences as well. Um, my oldest brother. Uh, once he was in high school, started listening to jazz, and I just, I was just like, "What are you doing? I, what, are, I can't, I don't know what you're doing. This is confusing me." And 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 now that I'm older, and and as I got older, it uh, classic jazz uh, is in particular is really probably the the prime influence uh, in terms of music. Um, it's I I can't get through a day without listening to some form of classic jazz. Um, um, and also uh, similar to Ali um, Abdul is that um, there's uh, this thing where I people I'm looking at people and I'm observing people I'm listening to them talk and and this kind of thing and it's just it's uh, there's a certain poetry to it a certain musicality to it uh, that I really appreciate and really love um, and uh, I think. Uh, I think that poem that you read uh, about the the uh, the, the woman order, ordering not it's something that you just read up there that was very similar that I thought yeah I can hear the music in that voice it was very nice and um, other influences I read a lot I don't have a television so I don't I don't know if I'm lucky some I think um, I think I think when The Walking Dead came out I think about. Four or five years after the first season, I saw the first season, and I thought it was great, except after everybody had been talking about it on Facebook, I was four years behind. Um, so, um, so I don't have a lot of influence in terms of television, but I read a lot. I see a lot of art. I listen to a lot of music. I read a lot of news. Um, talk to a lot of people in my neighborhood. Um, and and that, those those are the influences for me, I think. And my process, interestingly, Abdul is very slow too. I'm a slow writer, and I can't just. I mean, I I know people who can like write a book in like six months. I can't do that. Um, so so it really, I, it's really like has to simmer for me. It, it really has to sort of meditate, uh, uh, marinate a little bit. Um, uh, I'm just not a quick writer, and I don't think I want to be because I really think that. When I think about my poetic voice, as compared to maybe some other new voices out there, I think it's really a different 
sound and a different feel to it. And I really want to keep that. I don't want to, it to get lost. Uh, and, tr- and I don't want to try to sound like anybody else. I just want to sound like Venus. And so, um, and that's very important to me. Oh, may I, um, what about myth? Is myth important to your work? Because I felt very much like you're mythologizing. Um, now, we can go real deep into that, but um, in some ways, yes, and in other ways, no. Um, uh, I mean, of course, there, there is you know, some myth, myth involved, uh, for, for, I think, for many of us who are poets. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, and even though a lot of these poems that we write are influenced by real life and real people, um, sometimes we have to, you know, twist a little fiction into it to make, to make it a poem. To make it poetic, um, um, and you know, and we, and it, and it still has to sound like it's part of the real deal, um, and um, and that's part of the challenge of being a poet. Um, and um, I think sometimes when we look at some of these categories, poetry is often listed in the fiction category. Um, so it's it's a, a, a interesting thing. I think it's very. Um, there, County Cullen um, wrote. Um, uh, poet, make a poet black and bid him sing. What was what's the name of that poem? Yet I marvel. Yet, yet do I marvel. Thank you. Yet do I marvel about this curious thing to make a poet black and bid him sing, and that um and that is is such, it's such an interesting thing to me that he, you know, talked about way back in the Harlem Renaissance days, and it's really an amazing thing to be a a writer and a poet because uh. When I was growing up and I was doing all this reading, my parents were very strict on me, so I had to stay in the house a lot. But when I, when I was staying in the house a lot, I was also reading a lot. And, um, and so I used to hold writers at this really high level, like godliness, you know. And so for a long time, it was hard for me to even claim it. Um, and so I think it's really, I feel humbled just to be in the same category, I guess. Man, did that go off the rails? Go ahead. Oh, sorry, bad. Sorry, bad off the rails. Amtrak. Um, so I read your book at Bulelli, um last week, and I read it like six times since then. Like I've read it and shown it to all my friends. I'm really obsessed with it. Um, so I have two questions about it. Um, the first one was, could you explain to me the blink pages? Because I feel like they're self-explanatory, but there might have sure. been a deep, deeper meaning. Sure. So. Um, you had questions about, okay, so most books of poems, you'll see a Roman numeral to, you know, uh, mark, this is section one, this is section two. So in my book, Trouble Sleeping, I wanted the reader to have an experience as if they were tossing and turning in their bed from not necessarily a bad dream, but the dream that is their life this uh, American reality that we're sharing together. And so I put the blink as the page uh, markers because um, that's what we do when we can't sleep, right? We're looking, you know, we're blinking, right? And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. So I, um, yeah, it was was me trying to do something different. Um, And I hope people will appreciate that. The second part was, uh, how difficult was it for you to compile the, the book of poems? Um, did you have to condense a lot? Because the book was a little bit smaller, and I wish it was much, much larger. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah, um, actually it was uh, 
agonizing. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like building a, a set of teeth. You know, like, of course, all the teeth can't be the same size. You know, you need the choppers and you need the this and you need the that and you need the wisdom teeth. Right. Um, so, yeah, a constant process of um, revision because uh, I knew when poems were there and I knew when uh, this one line for some reason I can't get it right. And up until the deadline, I was still negotiating with my editor on um, it was a agonizing process but I'm so grateful for it because I, I think I became a writer you know in during that process I had to tr- sort of trust my instincts um, poems that were a certain way for maybe a few years suddenly took a turn you know right before my deadline and I you know and as a writer it's like you wrote it you know you got to stand behind it uh, and that little turn uh, change of a word it may change the whole meaning uh, of that line and thus the entire poem so yes it was difficult i had to shrink it down um it's a book of what 70 something pages but there i think there are only maybe 28 poems in the book so many of the poems are multiple sections um and for me you know a lot of the poems came to me that way you know it it wasn't just a one stanza poem uh and i wanted it to breathe on the page um and so it took up maybe four pages for one poem or something like that. And when that and when that turn happens, it really shows your growth as a writer because a poem may sit that sit a certain way yeah. for a long time, and all of a sudden you see it a different way, mm-hmm. and you make that change. But it's really a reflection as your growth as a writer, as your and as your maturity, just as a person in general. So interesting, Abdul, listening to you because a lot of what he's saying is. The process, because it's only about 78 pages in my book, and it's only about 28, maybe 30. I don't know, not a very many poems, but it's very interesting, the um, the parallels mm-hmm. in our, our writing journey cool. or process or whatever. We should do this more often. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> I own, I own <laughs> <laughs> oh, where are we going with that, Venus? <laughs> no, I mean, like, where are we going with getting that, a drink or something. Okay. Um, could you could you each say uh, a word or two about a contemporary poet that you've read and enjoyed recently, just to you know share our reading lists, spread around our reading lists? I'll let you start, Venus. Um, how contemporary? Like I, I don't know what recently I meant by that. published. Yeah, re- recently published. A living, Some, somebody a who's living publishing poet. right now. Say again. Somebody's publishing still. Um, the truth the truth is is that um, whenever I need that poetry fix, I do find myself returning to two poets in particular. Although there are so many more poets that I read on a regular basis, but these two just keep cropping up and I don't intentionally go, oh, let me go get this. They just, the books kind of fly to me for some reason. And that would be Natasha Treadway and Yusuf Kumanyaka. I just keep returning to those two two poets again and again and again. And um, other... Well, gosh, he's not contemporary, but I read him a lot, and that's William Carlos Williams. But that's oh, yeah. he's not a contemporary, but I read him a lot. I, the first time I read A Widow's Lament, I, I cried. And very, very rarely does a poem have that kind of effect on me emotionally. Um, um, but that poem did. Um, and uh, in terms of poets today, I, I, yeah, hmm. I don't know. It's it's hard for me because a lot of the poetry that I read today that's like really being published today, maybe some of the younger poets, um, a lot of the work sounds the same to me. 
um, and it has this kind of singy songiness to it that I personally don't like, even though I don't don't say that it can't be a part of the uh, thing that we call poetry. But all, after a while, it all sounds, starts to sound the same. And so it, it's really hard for me to latch on to it uh, the way that I want to with, say, a Yusuf Kamenyaka or Natasha Trethewey. Um, uh, I think it's hard because a lot of us do try to sound like a lot of poets that are published and are being published because of the desire to be published. Um, and, um, and it's really hard to sort of maintain your poetic identity, I think. Um, but I think uh, it is, it's something that these two poets managed to do. Um, and, and I think uh, that's why I, I sort of kind of am drawn to them. Yeah, um, the poet who wrote my f- introduction, Thomas Sears Ellis, um, I would highly recommend his work. Um, he's a Washingtonian, um, co-founder of the Darkroom Collective, so he has a connection to Natasha Trethewey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just, he hasn't, I don't know, I just find his work to be very daring. No one has his voice. And he doesn't overpublish, you know? He's not trying to come out with a book every year. I mean, his work, he, he's, integrity means a great deal to him. And you can, um, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we'll talk. Thomas Sears Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we could, we could go to some closing poems. Unless, does anyone have anything else they want to say? Oh, do you have your, do you have your oh, oh, okay, you're distracting. Okay. Oh, when, when okay, this will be our last question. How difficult was it for you to get published for the first time? Uh, how was that rejection process, both of you, anyone? You oh, I'll, I'll go. Um, okay, so yeah, rejection is a part of being an artist in general, whether you're an actor, you know, you're gonna, no, you know, or you don't get the call back. Um, I decided to do the manuscript contest, um, and so, you know, you work, in my case, for a few years during graduate school on your thesis, on your book, uh, and then you send it out uh, to see if someone will select it. Um, and I got, I was very blessed. Um, mine was selected right after graduate school. So my path was very different than many of my uh, contemporaries <laughs> who had to wait a lot longer. So that's it was difficult, but it happened really quick. I, I thought they were, it was a prank or something when I got the call. You know, I was like... I didn't. I didn't think it was a prank. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was real. And um, when I got out of graduate school, uh, it took 10 years for me to get my book poem, 10 years after I graduated. Um, and to be honest with you, I wasn't sending the manuscript out a lot. I was very selective in the contest that I chose because yes, yeah. I didn't want to be paying 45 and $50 ev- for every contest. I didn't have it, first of all. I got a kid. I, he, that, that money goes to him. Yeah. So I, I didn't send it out a lot. I was very selective. Like if I saw a collection or, or a contest that said, you know, uh, first book by African-American woman, I would send it into that because I was like, you know, the field may be a little more narrow or something. You know, that was my <laughs> rationale, you know. Um, but I didn't send it in a lot, and when I did, did send it in to the paying ones, they were something specific like that. 
And the ones that I chose to send it out the most to were the open calls where I didn't have to pay to send it in. And so, um, so, so I wasn't like, you know, you know, people send theirs out a hundred times yeah. a month yeah. and I just couldn't commit to that. Um, so it was very rare, which is probably why it took 10 years. And on top of that, I'm really glad it took that long because in between the few times that I did send it out and get it rejected, by the way, um, I wasn't like, woe is me, a rejection. I was like, let me go back to the revision process and see how I can make this better. Mm -hmm. um, it was a motivation for me. And I didn't feel comfortable even sending it out when I did because I didn't feel that it was A1. Um, and, um, and, when I, and when I really started sending it out, which was probably around 2012, which is about eight years after I graduated, um, and we went to the same graduate school, by the way. Yeah, we did. Um, AU. The American AU. University. Okay. Um, <laughs> let your eagle flag fly. Um, and um, when I started sending it out more regularly then, I really felt that I had really put together a, a, a good manuscript, um, much better than the previous years when I had been sporadically sending it out. Um, so it was Im improving every time, I thought. And like Abdul said, you know, you find one poem that you've been sitting on for a long time, and all of a sudden you say, that line, uh-uh. And it, you know, you, you, you know it right away that it's gotta, it's gotta move, it's gotta change. Um, and that's a, a good thing, that's a beautiful thing. The collection for a long time, the collection has gone through about five titles um, <laughs> before I actually settled on this one. Before that, it was called Womanology. Um, yes. You know, because I wanted to say everything I knew about a woman and being a woman and women, and but the thing about it, why, and it was it stayed womanology for a long time, and I thought, okay, I, that that's going to be it, but I didn't. I was weary of it. I still had my doubts because one of the poems in the collection is called Womanology, but it's not really what the whole book is about, and mm -hmm. I didn't want that poem to be the focus, mm. and so I still kind of in the back of my mind was searching for the right title and then all of a sudden in early 2012 I wrote Abortion in the Garden of Eden and it has that one line in it that if Eve had not eaten the fateful apple she never would have known and somehow in there I felt the fateful apple was it for me because uh, it said everything I wanted to say like you know about knowledge and about women's knowledge and about universal knowledge so I don't know does that help Okay, thank you. Those are great um, questions. Thank you, everyone. Um, so, um, Did we use up all the time? Well, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe we could, I don't know how many poems you guys were planning to read that. Maybe like one, just one or, one or two. One or two sounds fabulous. Because they like us to start. You can just sit here. Huh? So, yeah, yeah let's you. just sit here and read our one or two poem. Okay. Good heavens. Um... I want to. I want to. I want to read. I want to read this one poem for the fellas. Uh oh. Uh oh. You, you know who you. You know who you are. <laughs> Once I read. Well, I got a couple of poems in here for the fellas, but this is for the special fellas. It's called "Thicker Than Waters," dedicated to my friend Tim. Thicker than water. We are fierce adventurers, 
crisscrossing chocolate city, hitting clubs just after sundown, avoiding big arm bouncers demanding money at the door. We traverse more terrain in search of sin than John Newton sailed on the middle passage hauling human cargo. We sing amazing grace before a black gay god. On back row pews we bless with our own holy water, our dark kisses, thick and humid as D.C. summer nights. We stand as sphinx by light of day, built of ashes and dust, Malcolm X Park, our Giza. We are pharaohs, untouched, unharmed by time or haters of men like us. You, Kafre, I, Jedfrey, brothers in war, in blood, in love. We have been here before, our brown bodies laid bare, embraced in the warmth of this ancient sun. Hmm. And that's anthologized in Full Moon. In Full Moon on K yeah. Street. Because I, I, I loved it the first time I read it. So I'm oh, sorry. okay, great. Um, you said one or two, right? Yeah, please. Well, damn. Oh, excuse me. I just cut out my, my other one by reading that one because I hadn't planned on reading that one. Um, okay. Um, let me come back. I'll do Let Me Come Back. Oh, I like that idea. Crisscross. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. No, the name of the poem is Let Me Come Back. Oh. <laughs> okay, egg on my face. I'm sorry. I mean, if you want to do it that way, it's fine by me. I don't care. But the name of the poem is Let Me Come Back. Go on now. You're making me turn red. You know, light-skinned people turn red. Mm, uh, that was funny. Okay. Let me come back. Let me come back a black man. Let me come back tall, dark, athletic. Let me be a pro. Let bling adorn me. Let my houses be mansions. God, let my wife be fine. Let me come back a black man. Let me come back with mad lyrical skills and a gold microphone. Let me be hard-edged and bulletproof. Lord, let my woman be fine. Let me come back a black man. Let me come back Harvard-minded and White House-bound. Let my children be privileged and blessed. Jesus, let the First Lady be fine. Oh, that's a great... That's a, uh, wow. And I loved her, her commencement speech. You know, frankly... I would have. Uh, I wouldn't have mind if she ran for president. To be perfectly listen, honest, listen. Listen, I have to get all my girls out with AKs, just running beside her every time she's on a campaign trail. So it's better that she doesn't run. No, I mean instead of. Never, oh, okay. Never. Okay, that's another talk. <laughs> so, uh, I wrote a poem on one of those. One of those nights I couldn't sleep, so trouble sleeping. Sirens flash, cayenne red, waking the undead. There are fingers around my neck, around my neck. Never quiet, always noise, noise, unrest, disquiet. Tongue cut in halves. Sometimes I think of jumping in front of a train. Splat, let them play Sam Cooke songs at my funeral. 
I miss the train. Jump, see if I'll sprout feathers like they do in Marvel Comics. I couldn't, shouldn't, shoulda though. I miss my mama. It's Ramadan. My spirit's hungry. My mind backpedals to a different time. I hear different voices, slave voices. I am master and the slave, the crack of a whip on my own back. Release me, Lord, from this plantation. Whisper the Lord's prayer. Watch it knock on the ceiling on its way to heaven, coming back to carry me home unanswered. Hear the voices. Listen to them hum. I hear laughing. Open my cabinets. Drink all my good flavored tea. Who's that? Who's there? Speak, speak, speak. Get out my head. How you get in there? How to silence madness. Got to get to sleep. 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 Antebellum dreams. Thoughts tying shoelaces. Racing, racing, moving, crowded. Plum tomatoes, sugarcane, walking in clay. White horses, hoof, hoof, hoof. Sirens are back. Red eye. Someone's been shot outside my window. Someone's been shot. Overdosed on chicken wings. They couldn't resist. (laughs) Sorry. Face bloody on the concrete. My mind's on fire. My mind's on fire. There's a fire truck tossing and turning, turning and tossing. In the kitchen, the dishes undone. Mice running relays in the trash can. Paint peeling back. Steam heat up too high. Covers smothering, sweating. Earth winning fire on the radio. The reasons, the reasons, the reasons that we're here. Sleepwalking. Rapid eye movement. REM. Dear God. Can I have one hour, one hour, an hour of peace, silence, this violent river in my head, quiet the wrinkles, split the sea, wash the evil in me away, this restless tornado, before I go, before I go, way, 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 way mad, before I go, way mad, before I cross over, before morning comes, wake me from this nightmare, give me a new song, hear me hum it good this time. Body and soul. Somebody call Aretha. Say a little prayer for me. Sleep, 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 sleep. All God's children. All God's children need traveling shoes. Sweet peace, sleep, rest. My mind's been running. I'm tired. Okay, so that's trouble sleeping. And my final poem. Um, is really I just wanted to not have this reading go by and for me not to acknowledge those who were active in the demonstrations with the recent uprising. And so this poem is uh, titled Holy um, because I do believe that words can be holy. Holy. Always they begin as units of prayer in sleep, watery images When I wake, seeing them crowded together in a headline, officers in the Bronx fire 41 shots and an an unarmed man is killed. This lacerated tongue thirsts to remember the names of all the faces hidden behind the barrel of a gun, loaded, blasted into national memory, becoming sejuras, Each name is a body craving wholeness. Two. These eyes shudder, imagining a different script playing out behind their lids. 
three. When I wake tomorrow, let there be a riot of birds outside my window. Let there be crows flying south in horseshoe formation. Let there be Peruvian musicians with their wooden flutes and African drummers and children double-dutching over liberated fire hydrants. Let there be Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn remixed. Let these words serve a different master narrative. Let sound shoot outside this mouth, echoing in every walk home, dark alley, neighborhood. May this poem lodge inside your breast. Thank you. Um, so I just want to thank um, Abdul and Venus again. You've given us a fabulous uh, experience tonight, so thank you so much. And just want to tell everyone their books are for sale in the back um, table there. Um, and also, if you um, want to sign up for our email list, that's in the, in the back on that table on that table. And we also would love it if you'd fill out a short um, evaluation form, which is on that table um, that helps with library programming. Um, So yeah, and thank you all for coming out. We really appreciate it.